If we are a highly effective leader, then we work every day with legacy in mind. Legacy is something that we can't create ourselves. So the highly effective leaders become highly effective because of their incredible mastery in unlocking, mobilizing, and guiding the talents of others. Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces diversify our thinking and achieve significant HR success. Hello and welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. My name, of course, is Nick Day and I'm CEO at JGA Recruitment Group Specialist HR Recruiters. Now, whether, of course, you are listening to this for the first time or the hundredth time, please let me take this opportunity to say thank you for joining me today and please fasten your seatbelts because you're about to hear a story like no other I have featured on this show before. So let me tell you a little bit about today's guest. Today, I'm joined by Brandon Wilson, who is a self-professed survivor of leadership sabotage. He's one of the world's most sought-after executive consultants who has appeared on multiple news shows, including CNN, Today, and Fox, among others, to share his story. And I'm delighted to confirm that Brandon is going to share his story today with us. Why? Because Brandon has used the impact of his experience, which includes betrayal, theft, and deceit, and actually cost him more than 600000 Yes, you heard that correctly. And he's here today to help HR leaders just like you to develop the ability to survive leadership sabotage, should it happen to you, so that no one can stop you from realising your full potential. So without further ado, I feel very privileged and honoured to welcome Brandon Wilson to the show. Brandon, how are you feeling today? And welcome. Nick, thanks for having me on. I'm excited and looking forward to providing some insights of, of value to your audience. Fantastic. Cannot wait to get started. Before I delve into your book and all the, and your story, I'm going to ask with one, start with one question I always ask all of my guests on the show, which is, what do the words human resources mean to you? Wow. Uh, it means a lot of things for a lot of different people, but to me, it means one thing. It means collective impact. Human resources is at its bare foundation, an exercise of curating the right fit, uh, the right combination of talent, uh, the right balance of commitment and drive in order to get after ambitions that require a collective of people working together. Uh, and that's what it means to me. I think that's great. Well, a lot of listeners here, I think, sort of punching the air and go, hey, that's exactly what it's all about. So good start to the show. Now, I've got to start, of course, by asking you if you'd be so kind to share with our listeners a little bit about your own fascinating and very personal story of sabotage that left you feeling betrayed. And, and of course, which I mentioned in the introduction, left you, well, cost you to the tune of more than $600,000. Can you give us a little bit of insight into your story that led you to, I guess, becoming such a sought-after leader on, on this show today? Well, I appreciate the opportunity, and it's a story that I that I, I don't enjoy sharing, uh, but I'm committed to sharing because you know my personal story is not my own story. I mean, it's a story that impacts 
many of your listeners every single day. The one thing that I would edit uh, in your introduction is if sabotage happens to you, I would also edit that to just say when it happens to you. Uh, Leadership sabotage is all around us. And it's working even when we are not to limit our impact as leaders. And as a leadership consultant and as a communications consultant, uh, I I get pulled into organizational consultancy quite a bit uh, because in order to help leaders do some bold things, it's important for me to also understand the organizational structure in which they work in. And for more than 20 years, for nearly 20 years, what I've learned is, is that as talented and as driven as those leaders are that I've been working with, the invisible barrier that seems to trip them up or stymie their progress uh, more times than not uh, were acts of sabotage, leadership sabotage. And I'll define it and talking about it in terms where your audience might find some familiarity in that word, because we typically don't talk about sabotage in the same universe as we talk about leadership, and we should. And so leadership sabotage is, quite frankly, employee defiance. That's an act of sabotage. Uh, Corporate revenge is an act of sabotage. Processes that seek to frustrate or slow down progress, whether it be getting you to jump through more hoops than other people, that's sabotage. And so when I start to talk about sabotage in those ways, people perk up and they say, oh, I see that every day. Like, yeah, <laughs> so-and-so sure. did that to me at, at work the other day, and but they never had a name to place on it. And so today we get to place a name. I, I experienced leadership sabotage theoretically as a, as a consultant, but nothing taught me more about the behavior of sabotage than being one of its victims and or survivors, I should say. Uh, in about 2012, I, uh, I decided that I would embark on a strategy for growing my business and I would buy other companies, other communications consultancies. And I got a phone call from a a good friend of mine who introduced me to someone who was interested in selling his business. And I took the call. It was an older, mature, stately um, gentleman, and his company was quite mature. Uh, So I took the call and it presented an opportunity to to add more than a million dollars to my net worth. So I took it. I said, let's take it. Blinded by that ambition, that the reason why that money is important, um, that ambition blinded me from some judgment that I needed in order to manage that relationship. I allowed myself to take some poor advice because I was after the benefits of my ambition. And we're going to talk a lot about ambition today. So that just get ready, audience. Uh, and so after a while, you know, he, he, he approached me. I entered into a mentor-mentee relationship with him. That then became the foundation of an imbalanced relationship where, with great respect to due diligence, I started to merge our assets together. Uh, he took it a step further using his influence and bullying ways uh, to also get me to do something that's really bad. And that was to set up prematurely an asset sale where I set up a third, where we would set up a third entity that would allow me when I purchased the company to acquire all the assets without the debt. Now it's a real thing, but my counsel was very adamant that it was 
incredibly premature to do this, but I believed in that million plus dollars. I believed in buying and growing. I believed in my own ambition that I took the bad advice. Uh, after giving monies to this third entity for quite some time, I get a call from my attorney. He asked me to come by his office. I go by and he sits me down in a conference room and he tells me that that third entity doesn't exist. He said, where is your money going? And, and I didn't have wow. a clear answer. I had been deceived uh, and my assets had been stolen. And so now it's time to separate. Uh, and so we we drafted official separation papers, uh, had them delivered to uh, the person who owned the business. And uh, I remember having a conversation around that same time after his refusal to sign those papers where he almost in a mafia style meeting, uh, I'm sitting on one side of the desk, he's on the other and And he just tells me point blank, you're going to keep giving me your money. And I told him, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. And he leans back in his chair, Nick, and I'll never forget it. He said, well, if you choose not to give me any more of your money, I have no other choice but to kill your wife. Wow. That's that, was, that was something I was not expecting. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he leans back and he looks in the air. He points to the sky as if he had an aha moment. And he said, oh, and I will tell you how I'm, how I'm going to do it. And he leans forward and he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use all of my political connections and at the police department and the district attorney's office, wherever they reach. And I'm going to have some trumped up charges against you. And I'm going to get you arrested. And I'm not trying to get you in jail because you're going to use my money to bail out of jail. What I'm more interested in is getting a mugshot on record of you. And I'm going to use that mugshot to blackball you from ever doing business wherever I can help it. And it's going to do two things to your wife. One is going to embarrass her by getting others to believe that she's married to a crook. And the second thing it's going to do is suffocate the needed resources out of your home so that you don't thrive, but you die. It's what he told me. Wow. Okay. And he revealed himself as a bully and bullies are saboteurs. And so after I survived, I fought back. I punched the bully back at high noon at lunchtime. My bully punched back. He did everything he said he was going to do. And I didn't get that mugshot though, but I did fight and had some incredible legal resources and uh, took a lot of money. (laughs) And, uh, but I survived and, and we still have that growth. My wife stayed with me. Uh, all of those things we needed that growth for are still intact. But it led me on a journey to go back to those leaders previously to talk to them about their bouts with sabotage. Sure. And then I started talking to other people. And what I learned is, is that my story is not my own story, that sabotage is quite pervasive and that nobody wants to talk about it. And because we're not talking about it, we position saboteurs to be in a place of advantage every single day. Very, very interesting. And actually, you're absolutely right. I've been listening to this. It's been resonating with me. And I can think of a, a particular individual that's uh, led me down a similar, not, not quite as uh, aggressive or as bad as your path, Brandon, but uh, certainly there's some resonance with the situation that I've been involved in. As you say, I'm sure many other listeners to this uh, podcast will be thinking the same way. I don't want to sort of, um, I guess, bring bring the level down a little bit. But something that first uh, sprung to mind when you mentioned the benefits of ambition is, I think this is really relatable. Um, as you mentioned, your your obviously example is is something hopefully 
at a level that most people won't get to experience. But I think we make these decisions all the time in terms of benefits of ambition, and particularly in, in the world of HR, um, I was thinking more in the terms of recruitment, right? If you've got a need, the marketplace at the minute is very buoyant. People are overworked and they need their resources alongside them. The people make snap decisions. They, they take people on that perhaps aren't quite right for the job just because they need something right now, either to give them a break from work or to help them achieve a project. Um, and I've, I've seen a lot of decision making being made now post pandemic that I think is, is lacking the patience that sometimes required if they really want to achieve what they want to achieve. And I'm sure, I mean, that's probably a, a small example in relation to the story you've just given. But I think um, the idea of benefits of ambition, people making decisions on the back of that potentially, therefore making incorrect decisions or, or, or quick decisions, you must see these kind of things happen all the time in the world of business and leadership. I do. I do. And, and Nick, I'm glad you you honed in on, on ambition, right? Because, you know, as HR professionals, I think there is a, a critical mistake that has been made and it continues to be made. And we, we are living in some of the impact of that right now. And, and it's two errors that I think we are allowing to shape the conversation on uh, talent development and talent recruitment. The two things that we're doing that that must be addressed pretty acutely is one, we are allowing the conversation around commitment to be confused with loyalty. Mm. That's one thing. Those are very two different things. We are asking people to be loyal to our organizations and loyalty is something that is is. Is given, but what we really want is people who are committed because commitments are things that we make. And because we are allowing people to change or confuse those two words, I'm a communications consultant, so I believe in the power of language. What's happening is, is that we're seeing the mass resignation happen because the conversations being driven by talent who are demanding you to earn their loyalty. But loyalty is something that can be given and it can be taken back. And there's an imbalance that's happening with regard to enterprise and the talent providers. Mm -hmm. And if we start looking for people who are committed, what we'll start to see is that we'll start attracting people who are better fits for our organization because they are they're committed to making and keeping agreements and their word. And, and, and that's, a, that's one very nuanced but very important thing that is fueling this mass resignation. And we have to gain hold of that language in order to reverse some of that impact. The second era is that we are also confusing people who are driven with those who are ambitious. We want the driven not the ambitious. And what has happened is, is the conversation is also being driven by those who are ambitious. Too often we find ourselves enamored with, networking with, inviting into our relationship people who are ambitious and we pawn that off as being the same as being driven. And they're completely two different things. Ambition, uh, and this is a, I know Nick, you're not out for controversy, as a communicator, uh, I, I go out first to say that ambition is a character flaw. I want to say it again. 
ambition is a character flaw. Ambition cannot be, you can't give ambition enough food to satisfy its appetite. You can't give it enough water to quench its thirst. As a matter of fact, the more you give it, the more it wants. And the more ambitious it becomes to the point where it becomes blind ambition. And that blind ambition are those who, or people who are consumed with blind ambition, see in a very tunnel way where they're headed and they drive with blinders on without respect to the harm or the damage that is caused by their decisions or their actions along the way to achieving their leadership objectives. What we want, though, are people who are driven. When we are driven or when we drive like a car, we are fully aware of what surrounds us. We break and ease on the brake in a way that respects our passenger so they don't jerk back and forth. We are very cognizant of all the people who are with us and around us. And we've allowed the conversation with regard to talent recruitment to become nuanced and confused when it comes to delineating the difference between ambition and drive. Nice. I wasn't expecting that. I'm not liking it. You know what? I watched... uh... I don't know how big it is uh, in, in the States at the moment, but everyone on, on Apple TV, we've got the morning show. And uh, there was a speech made in that an episode I watched yesterday talking about the lead character having so much ambition that she stepped on everyone to get to the top and she forgot to live. <laughs> so she was fully unaware of everything, you know, the carnage that happened around her because she was so focused on getting to the top that actually mm. she hadn't really experienced living and hadn't been aware of the people she hurt along the way. Um, I know it's a, I know it's a TV series uh, association here, but it's uh, it resonated with what you just mentioned because I think you just explained it very very clearly. And um, as someone you know, personally, I would have considered myself ambitious. Would you say that um, someone who is ambitious is the same as, as someone who would you know as, as are they two, one one and the same? Do I need to redefine how I look at my own trajectory or my own goals, uh, so to speak? Yeah, I think you do. I think I think we need to all assess why we consider ourselves ambitious. Sure. You know, and whatever it is, whatever it is that allows ourselves to be considered quite emphatically ambitious, uh, start to get at some of the things or characteristics in our lives that may need to be addressed. Like we are some people are consider themselves ambitious for career success. But what they may really like and would be willing to drive blindly toward is affirmation from others in the form of promotion. I mean, I mean, think about that. I mean, that's a whole when you when you think about it that way, you say, oh, my goodness, am I really do I really want that promotion that much that I'm willing to drive blindly to it? Or some may be ambitious for money, that I would do anything to get that next one hundred dollars. I'm, I'm ambitious. I don't take any days off because I have to get that money. You know, whatever it is, right? These are the same type of, that's the same kind of, 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 of power that propels forward activity that may cause people to steal to get that next book or to do things unethically to get that next dollar. And so uh, we are all, we are all, uh, subject to that character flaw of ambition. And so what I'd like to ask your audience members to do, and even you yourself, Nick, is to, after this podcast, is to look in the mirror and ask yourself this question. What is driving my ambition? 
what is driving my ambition? And then answer that question so that you understand how to control those forces that might be leading you to put blinders on as you pursue your leadership objectives. Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Presumably this is something that the HR professionals listening to this now, if they're dealing with an internal employee issue that is a, as a result of that employee being too ambitious, to, to put it into uh, quotations, it gives them an opportunity to understand and ask those same questions back of their employees, hopefully to improve performance, to improve you know, the, the productivity of their own teams, if, they're under, if they can able to come to an understanding that it's that ambition that potentially is causing some of the internal difficulties. Um, so it, it, it's an interesting spin, not something that I'd considered in the way that you've defined it, Brandon. So I appreciate that. And of course, it's things like that and your story that really led you to writing your best-selling book, um, which is going to be available. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's called Sabotage, Leadership That Becomes, um, sorry, Leadership That Overcomes Betrayal, Theft and Deceit. Clearly, you've told us a little bit about some of the things we're going to find in that book just by the way that you communicate and with your expertise. And you've obviously supported some of the world's most trusted brands. You've worked with Apple, JP Morgan, Honda, Yale University, and many, many more. Can you give our audience a little bit more insight into other things they may find in the book, what the book's about, and how you've used your experiences to define your I guess your your um, the word I'm looking for now with my own communication specialist your your objectives for helping others in the workplace to become better leaders. Absolutely, and and let me pause real quick and put a pin in the ambition versus driven conversation. Sure. As human resources professionals, you can also diagnose the veracity of someone's ambition when meeting them or interviewing them or doing informational sessions with them by asking a series of questions that get after their propensity to operate with a servant's heart. And this is really important because, you know, they say, oh, I'm ambitious, but what we really want are people who are service oriented. What we want is your unmitigated hard work. And one of the questions that I always love to ask people is to tell me a time when you when it looked like you wasn't going to be able to deliver on your word, tell me what you did in response to that to make it so. And if the answer is, is I did nothing, I hit it, then we know that there there may be some ambition there, opposed to someone who said, I moved everybody out of the way and I did it myself. It was so important to me that I get this thing done, that I did it myself. And, and in, inside the book are questions like this, these prompts that you can ask that help you to sort of hone in on the character of the people you are inviting into your organizations to ensure that you have absolute fit within those organizations. And that's how you essentially end up thriving as a, as a corporation, is when you have people who fit together and who work together. And so I just wanted to put a pin in there and that that's one of the things you'll find in this book, but to back all the way up into the why is this book important, 
the reason this book is important is because I specialize in helping leaders do bold things. Uh, I'm working with, you mentioned some of the brands, uh, some of the things that we're working on is building college campuses to addressing healthcare disparities around the world with Yale. You, you just name it. I mean, they're, they're really massive projects that, that takes us working collectively. And what I've learned is, is that the, the Achilles heel of leaders is that invisible sort of vapor that's around us. So those, those limiting forces that nobody knows what the name uh, call sabotage. And there's sabotage and there's also self-sabotage. And the book chronicles stories of real life leaders who have dealt with betrayal, theft, and deceit. Some successfully, some unsuccessfully. And it provides every reader with a roadmap for addressing almost every kind of sabotage that there is. I consider the book Sabotage, Leadership That Overcomes Betrayal, Theft, and Deceit, the most comprehensive leadership study on the subject of sabotage. And so it is an absolute jewel. Before we run out of time, I think it's important to also note that the book is divided into into four sections. Uh, And then there's also some other other chapters, but the two sections that I want to focus on are the horsemen of sabotage. And so inside of the book, I organize all of the activities of leadership sabotage around four horsemen. Uh, And I call these the four horsemen of sabotage. And these are things that we can see, that that we've experienced, we know when it's happening. And so when you see these horses ride into your life, you know that leadership sabotage is in your midst. And then there are these things that you can do to keep it away from you or to fully remove it out of your leadership orbit. Um, the, the first horseman of sabotage in no particular order uh, is jealousy. Whenever you enter a conference room or on a Zoom meeting or wherever you are and you hear people starting to say things like, why does, why does Nick always get A, B, C, and D? Well, you know that jealousy, that horseman has entered your midst. It is literally in your meeting. And there are a series of activities that if that jealousy, it goes unchecked and is allowed to escalate to become covetousness, there are a series of activities that you can expect to experience within that orbit that are sabotaging. And when I say sabotaging, what I mean is there will be activities that seek to scuttle, frustrate, or destroy your leadership pursuits in hopes that you never provide the world the gifts of your or the benefits of your leadership gifts. And so that's one. The the other horseman is arrogance and arrogance needs no introduction. (laughs) Uh, Arrogance is, uh, is an over-indexed perspective or or, or view of themselves. Uh, it, It is the anchor for ambition Uh, But people who are arrogant have a hard time seeing or respecting those who are around them. And they quite relish in in getting people to appreciate them at all costs. The other horseman is lying. If you see people lying in your midst and you don't check it, even if you consider those lies small, and this book does a really good job, I believe, of, of, of delineating or making clear that there's no such thing as a small lie. They're all big. 
Because what they do is that they position us to make decisions with inadequate or inaccurate information, which can be damaging. And so if liars are in your midst, you know that that horseman has entered your, your network. And then the last is seduction, the seducers. And these are the folks who are uh, well curated, uh, incredibly affable and charismatic. And they use those abilities to get you to come along their leadership and career journey. If I get a promotion, no matter how I got it, I'm going to bring you in as my assistant. You're coming with me. And what they like to do is to keep what people who seduce love more than anything is the, the adrenaline that they achieve from getting you to go along their ride, even if it may be unseemly or unethical. Uh, and, and they want to keep you around and they'll cultivate other people. And at the end of the day, if, if trouble ever comes near them, what they've done is seduced enough patsies around them that harm never comes close to them as they continue to climb, even if it's through unseemly ways, climb up the career posts. Really, really interesting. I've, I've, I've challenge anyone listening to this right now not to recognise or resonate with each of those horsemen. I know I certainly can uh, in my uh, career experience to date. So uh, love the way you put those together. And they make total sense as to why we want to keep those horsemen out of our organisations, out of our communities, out of our networks. I know in addition to, to that within the book as well, and in terms of your executive consultancy work, Brandon, you're also very focused on helping leaders to limit the forces in their lives that also seek to hinder their influence, impact and or legacy. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about your work in this field and and what advice you might give to to a leader listening to this right now who really wants to shape a leadership legacy. Because I guess I know that's something you're very experienced in, but also there's probably a little bit of an element here that if you want to, just by saying you want to leave a legacy, for me, we're bordering a little bit into that that arrogant or, or ambitious field as well, potentially. So tell me a little bit about your work in, in, in that field. Yeah. So the, the the latter part of the book, about a third of the, of, the, of the end of the book is focused on self-sabotage. And it is focused solely on the things we do to ourselves to limit our opportunities for growth. And, and, and it, that's important because, you know, we can always say that that Jim or Jane or whomever you know, sort of tripped us up along the way. But it's also important to be a comprehensive study of sabotage that we also look inward. And we also do those things to ourselves. What I like to focus in on in terms of of leaving a legacy is that a legacy is something that wakes us up every day. Like we, if we are highly effective leaders and that's an important adjective, the highly effective. If we are a highly effective leader, then we work every day with legacy in mind. Legacy is something that we can't create ourselves. So the highly effective leaders become highly effective because of their incredible mastery in unlocking, mobilizing, and guiding the talents of others. It's important. And as those leaders that you are helping to develop, helping to guide and providing opportunities to, as they succeed, people look at them and say, my goodness, how did she get to this level? And they'll say, it's because of Nick. 
and you now have a leaf on your legacy tree. That's how legacies are formed. And the more highly effective you become as a leader, the more masterful you become in achieving or unlocking the power of collective impact. That is the acme of leadership. There, there, there are only two types of leaders. There are leaders who wake up with to-do lists and say, I just need to get these things done. They check lists, they check lists, they check the list, and then they go to sleep and they wake up and they do it all over again. That leader is on a treadmill. They can run hard every day and their list can be 30. It can increase the list and they'll feel really good about themselves at the end of the day because they checked off a even longer list than the other day. But they'll never be satisfied because they're not guiding or helping others to experience uh, or to join in their lived leadership journey. And so the more masterful you become at unlocking the power of collective impact, the stronger, the stronger your legacy uh, will be. Love that. I think that's one of the most profound, one of the strongest um, definitions of leadership I've ever heard on this show. So fantastic. I, you know, I ask everyone to rewind that little section, listen to it again. If you consider yourself a leader, I thought that was really quite profound. So um, appreciate you for sharing that with me uh, today, Brandon. We're going to open the L&D vault in just a moment. I've got one question I'd like to ask, though, because you've been in this position, and I'm sure there, there are bound to be other people listening to this right now who may be in the midst of this position at the minute, which is, if you're not lucky enough to prevent the sabotage, what advice would you give to a leader who is perhaps listening to this right now, who's in the midst of a management sabotage, they've identified it, they need to survive it, but they don't actually know what they need to do or how to come through it. What advice would you give someone who's perhaps in that situation right now? There are two things, and I'll be very clinical and quick. The first is to lead with character. Even though everybody's doing things around you, that's unseemly. I mean, somebody may be bullying you. They may be lying. You may have some reputation assassins around you. People may think that you are the scum of the earth because someone told the CEO that when you were 20 years old, A, B, C, and D happened, whatever. What you should do is lead with like impeccable character and integrity because what those, what those feats of sabotage around you are really indicators of is that people are watching you, is that you are someone worthy of sabotage. I'll tell you some other folks who were worthy of sabotage. Steve Jobs, he was worthy of sabotage. So when there was an opportunity uh, to sabotage him, his then CEO, John Scully, betrayed him. He was worth another person who was worthy of sabotage, Martin Luther King Jr., worthy of sabotage. And so the second thing is, is to possess and protect a very positive self-identity in the midst of your sabotage. And that's why I share with you the other people. If, if you are not being sabotaged, you're not doing anything that's worth sabotaging. Sure. The front porch of the door of success is where sabotage lives. And to get through that front door of success you're going to have to walk up those steps and cross that porch. It is inevitable. And I'm probably the only one who's written a book about how to make it across that, that threshold to that door of success and doing so by braving the embarrassment of my own leadership sabotage. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so though, so one, I want to rehash that. One is to lead with impeccable integrity and character. And two is to curate a positive self-identity. If you do those two things, you will survive and not only survive, but after it happens, you will find yourself thriving and more prepared for the next bout with sabotage as you get that promotion. Opening the L&D vault. Fantastic. I love that response, Brandon. I love the way you see the world. Let's open the HR L&D vault. Some short, sharp answers to four quick questions. So question number one, in hindsight, what is the one thing you now know that you wish you had known when you began your career? I can do anything I want to do. I can only limit myself. Nice. If you can give one piece of advice to the world to help everyone working in human resources right now, what would it be? To empower others to do things that you believe you cannot do. Fantastic. If you had the opportunity, what advice would you give a younger self just starting out in the world of work? Have fun in everything you do. Love that. And last but not least, what is the guiding principle behavior that you've seen in every great leader you've worked with? Generosity. Fantastic. I have to say, it's been an absolute pleasure, Brandon, to have you on the show today. Please, please do check out the book, Sabotage, Leadership That Overcomes Betrayal, Theft and Deceit. It is available on Amazon. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. It's also available on Brandon's website, which is brandonwilson.co. That's brandonwilson.co. Again, the link to that will be in the episode notes. Any other links you'd like to share with our listeners today, Brandon? No, those links get it. And I also want to highlight, though, when you go to brandonwilson.co, you can buy the book, you can learn about me but you also can reserve time on my calendar to share with me any obstacles that you might be facing. And I will share with you my nearly 20 years of advice and insights to help you break through whatever barriers. Free of charge, no strings attached. I just believe in giving freely to leaders so that you can offer your gifts to the world. Fantastic. Absolutely love that. I have to say, I've been to your website. It's well worth a look. So please do check it out. Won't take too much of your time, but you'll come away with some uh, some great understanding of Brandon's background, but also you'll have a link to that book and you can click in for that free session with Brandon Wilson as well. And of course, if you are an HR L&D professional listening to this podcast right now and you've got a requirement that needs our specialist HR recruitment support, please do get in touch with me. My name is Nick Day. You can contact me or any of my great team at jgarecruitment.com. That link will also be in the episode notes. Just leads me to say a huge and profound thank you to Brandon Wilson for a fascinating deep delve into the world of leadership, into the world of sabotage. And I think one of the best um, summaries ever that I've heard of what a great leader is and how you can become one. So thank you ever so much, Brandon, for joining me today on the HR L&D podcast. Thank you for having me, Nick. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favourite podcast channels. Till next time.